Good morning, church. It's such a privilege to be with you this morning. Wherever you are in Melbourne or in different parts of the world, I believe that the Lord has to wait for us this morning. And I pray as we open our hearts to Him over the next 30 minutes, that we will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. You know, I, I just believe even as we are all waiting eagerly here in Melbourne for the announcement today, that we can visit friends and we can travel beyond 15 kilometers. So we're looking forward to that. But this morning, we have a word from the Lord. Let's open our hearts to Him as I, as I just open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You, Lord. We thank You, Father, that, that You have a word that You desire to speak to us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we will just open our hearts to you and receive the word that you want to deposit in our spirit, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, as we study the book of John. We pray, Father, that, that what you desire to communicate to the church, to us, we will receive it, O oh God. We ask you this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Now, the book of John is a spiritual gospel. All the other synoptic gospels, they, they presented the narrative of the life of Jesus, but, but John was concerned about the spiritual aspects. So a lot of the things he talked about were, were truth, topical. He, he emphasized his deity, uh, the logos that became flesh. So his focus was a bit different. You know, and our text today is, is in the book of John chapter 10, verse 22 to 30. Now, if we turn to John 10, 20 30, it says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, this isn't one of those verses that we will use for memory verse, because we've got no idea what this is. <laughs> Feast of Dedication, in winter, Solomon's Porch. What's all this about? Now, let me make this statement. No detail in Scripture is ever insignificant. Nothing that God puts in His Word is insignificant. They always have something that God inspired through the Holy Spirit, the writers, that they will put it in. Now, the fact that John took the trouble to, to say exactly what was going on, what was the temperature, and where was he? In the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem in winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Little hinges swing big doors. You know what I'm saying? Little hinges swing big doors. So sometimes the things that we think are insignificant become the very thing that God is actually focusing on. And He wants us to see that. Now, what is this Feast of Dedication? Now, the Feast of Dedication happened about 165 before Christ, B.C., when Jerusalem was ruled by a... Uh, uh, a Greek leader called Antiochus Epiphanes, who was also called the madman, because he was mad. He was mad. He just hated the people of Israel. He hated Jews. He hated Judaism. He hated Jehovah. And what he did is he brought a pig into the temple, 
and he offered it for sacrifice in the temple. His intention was to defy God and defile the temple. So the Maccabees family, they rose up in revolt against the Greeks. And they drove them out. And the feast of the dedication, or it should be the feast of rededication, was when the Jews dedicated the temple of God back to Jehovah. Now it was celebrated eight days. Because the first day when they lit the menorah, the candle, the lampstand, they had enough oil to burn for one day. But God miraculously provided that the light lasted for eight days. So when they celebrate the Feast of Dedication, even today, they celebrate it for eight days. Little details like this. Why the Feast of Dedication? Now, there are many other little details in the Bible. Uh, you know, a, a few weeks ago, I was listening and I heard someone uh, mention about the seven I am's that are mentioned in Scripture. Now, there are a lot of other sevens as well, the seven miracles. And uh, seven women mentioned in Bible, seven long narratives or conversations, seven ministries of the Holy Spirit, and even seven questions that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus. All these seven. But I think one of the most significant seven mentioned in the book of John is that John is the only one of all the Gospels who actually mentions Feast of Israel seven times. He mentions it in John 2.23, Feast of Passover, John 5.1 and John uh, verse 17, the Feast of Purim, John 6.4, Passover, John 7.2, the Feast of Tabernacle, John 22, which we just read, the Feast of Dedication, and again, John 11.55, the Feast of fast, uh, Passover. And the interesting thing is, you will read the book of John, there are three mentions of Passover, because three years of Jesus' ministry, in all three years of Jesus' ministry, the Passover was, was, was uh, mentioned in the book of John. And John seemed to put everything that Jesus did against the backdrop of the Feast of Israel. He put it against the backdrop. Why, why was he doing that? Now, I want to just do a very quick review, 10 minutes, to cover the Feast of Israel. It's probably a 10-month lesson, but I'll do it in 10 minutes. Now, the Feast of Israel, there are seven Feasts of Israel, but two are post the book of Leviticus, when God first ordained the Feast of Israel, when He gave that to, to uh, Moses. There are two that is not mentioned in the Old Testament in the book of, uh, when, when it was given to Moses, are the Feast of Dedication, because it happened way after Moses, 165 AD. And the other one was the Feast of Purim, which, which happened and it's recorded in the book of Esther, when God saved the people of Israel from Haman, the Persian, and how God uh, preserved the Israelites. So they, that there are two feasts that are not mentioned in, in the book of Leviticus uh, when, when God ordained the feast. Those are the feasts of dedication and Purim. But there are seven feasts that are mentioned in the Bible.
from the book of Leviticus. The first is Passover. Passover is celebrated in the month of Nisan, which is about our March, April. Fourteen days after the, the start of the, the month of Nisan, they celebrated Passover for 24 hours. Now, Passover, we know, started in the book of Exodus, when God commanded Israel to offer the lamb as a sacrifice, and the blood was put on the doors, and when the angel passed over, all those that were covered by the blood were spared. So it speaks about Jesus being our perfect sacrifice, that the blood of Jesus is what covers us. The Feast of Passover, 24 hours. And after that, immediately after Passover, they celebrated the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, unleavened bread is not pleasant to eat, right? And they ate unleavened bread with bitter herbs. Now, these spoke about the death of Jesus. This spoke about Jesus going into the grave, in the tomb. This talks about a time when Jesus was rejected even by his father. The bitterness of being apart from his father. Now, that was represented in the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, also March and April. And immediately after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was the Feast of the First Fruits. And the Feast of the First Fruits was the start of the harvest season. And the first harvest Israel had was barley. And then they had weed, and then they had harvest after harvest. It went right up to November. And October and November, they harvested olives. So a few months, the feast of harvest, the, the, the harvest would continue. But at the end of the unleavened bread, immediately after that is when the first fruit started, the feast of the first fruits. Jesus was crucified, he died, and he rose again. He became the first fruit of the new Adam, that in him, God now receives us. As a perfect sacrifice because our lives are hidden in him. So that was the feast of the first fruit. And then after the wheat, they dedicated the barley and then, the, sorry, the, the barley, the wheat, and then they harvested grapes and figs in June. And then by the end of May or end of June, around May or June, it was the peak of the harvest season. So seven weeks or 49 days or 50 days after the first fruits was the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was when they celebrated God's harvest. They received the harvest that God has given them and, and they celebrated that. Now, you know, we read in the book of John as well, and, you know, John 4.35, he says, Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white or ripe unto harvest. So Pentecost was celebrated. When did Pentecost happen? In the book of Acts. After Jesus was offered as the first fruit that was acceptable before God, 50 days later, we had Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts. And that became the era of the church to bring in the harvest. To bring in the harvest. And immediately after Pentecost, the next harvest, and, and not immediately, sorry, actually, this is probably one of the longest gap. Uh, from about June, July, August was quiet months, and then September was the next 
great feast. And this great feast is called Rosh Hashanah, which was the feast of the trumpets. Now, Israel actually had two calendars. One calendar was given to Noah. And the calendar that was given to Noah, the new year started with Rosh Hashanah in the month of September with the Feast of Trumpets. But then in the book of Leviticus 23, when God gave Moses the religious calendar for Israel, then the new year moved to the month of Nisan, which started with Passover. So Rosh Hashanah was the time when the trumpets were blown. You know, uh, and, and 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, it says, the trumpet shall sound, and then all of us will be reunited with God again. All right? So you had Passover, you had unleavened bread, and then you had first fruit. Jesus' death, uh, Jesus the perfect sacrifice, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. And then you had the church, Pentecost, harvest brought in. And then now we have the, the, the feast of the trumpets when the Lord returns again. And then after that, also in the month of September, October, you have the most sacred of all the feasts of Israel called Yom Kippur, or the Feast of Atonement. Now, this is when, in the Old Testament, they had two goats. One was sacrificed, and the other one, the high priest would lay his hands on the goat, and it was released into the desert so that their sins are gone. Now, the reflection of that is that now all of us, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we are atoned for. We are atoned for. We now can enter into the presence of God. All right. And then the last feast was the Feast of Tabernacle. And fittingly, Revelation 21, 34, uh, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be their God. And we are now with God. You see, the whole progression, the whole feast of Israel was a picture of the life and ministry and fulfillment of Jesus. What Jesus would, 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 would complete through his life. That's why the whole book of John was put against that backdrop so that we would, we would connect it back to the Old Testament. You see, what was happening as John wrote the, book, the Gospel of John was this was the second last book of the Bible to be written, right? This was, this was written to almost second generation Christians. And what was happening is Greek philosophy had crept into the church. And the church was beginning to lose its roots with the Old Testament. It became a solely New Testament church. And so John was addressing a, a second generation church that was losing the wealth of the Old Testament. You see, if we don't understand the full extent of what Jesus was doing and, and expressed through the, old, through the Old Testament, we only see part of what Jesus accomplished. That's why John was deliberately trying to get the focus of the church back to see everything that Jesus was actually accomplishing. 
There are three verses that we read in the, in, in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, which I always quote. All these things were written for our example, for our admonition. Romans 15, 4, it says the same thing. Everything that was written was for our learning. Luke 24, 27 says, On the road to Emmaus, when Jesus walked alongside the disciples, he began to open their eyes to the law or the Torah, Old Testament, and the prophets, to show from the Torah and the prophets who he was. That he was supposed to come, that he was supposed to be the lamb that would be sacrificed, but that lamb would rise up as the first fruit acceptable to God. But then the trumpet will sound, the harvest will be gathered, and then we will see atonement where we are now received into God's dwelling place. And the tabernacle of God will dwell with man. And he will wipe away all tears, and there will be no more pain and no more suffering. So he, here even Jesus in the book of Luke opened their eyes to see, and then immediately their eyes were opened and they saw that it was the Lord. And that's what John was trying to do here. John was trying to put the whole backdrop of the gospel against the backdrop of the Old Testament so that we understand that this was not just a philosopher. John was writing to a generation of the church that was used to philosophy. The Greeks are very famous for philosophy. You know? So a lot of his writing approach was very philosophy. The narratives, the discussions, the catchphrases, I am the resurrection and life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and life. So everything he was saying was, was catchphrases like this that were used by philosophers, but no philosopher dared to make claims like this. <laughs> no one dared to say that I am. But putting it against the backdrop of the Old Testament, then we understand the significance of the word I am. That I am was used by Yahweh, was used by Jehovah. That's why John made the effort to constantly put the whole gospel against the backdrop of the Feast of Israel. The Feast of Israel is a very significant thing. If you read the book of Leviticus, it says God said, this is my feast. This is my feast. This is my day of celebration for God. It's not a feast for the people. Now, when we hear the word feast, we, we tend to kind of think about eating. You know? But actually, the word feast in the Bible is a Greek word called moedim, or, or moed, the root word, which actually means God's appointed time. So what John was showing throughout that whole gospel was that everything happened at God's appointed time. It was Passover, he was here. It was Purim, he was here. The Feast of Dedication, he was here. Even, you will read later, even when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, the Bible says, four days before Passover. You know why four days before Passover? Because four days before Passover is when the Lamb was given to the priest, and he will inspect it for four days to see if it was a perfect sacrifice. 
Everything that John was recording in the timeline was put against that. God's appointed time. What a powerful lesson that is. Brothers, sisters, whatever we are trusting God for, God has an appointed time for us. If you are trusting God for a breakthrough in relationship, if you're looking to God for healing, if you're looking to God for that promise to come through, if you're looking for that relationship to be restored, if you're looking for a loved one to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus, God has a moedim. He has an appointed time. What a powerful message that John was presenting through that gospel. Amen? And we go on. John chapter 10, verse 24. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are Christ, tell us plainly. Now, what more evidence did they need? If they had eyes, they can see everything Jesus did. Nobody can do that. Nobody could do all the things that Jesus did, all the, the, the healings and all the claims he made. They know. Everything was clear. But this is the genius of the Gospel of John. You see, firstly, not only was, was John putting everything in accordance to their appointed time of God, showing that the entire Old Testament was now being fulfilled through the life of Jesus, he was also giving coded messages through the seven I am's, the seven feasts, and, and at the same time, he was also communicating deeper truth to them. That while you are listening to all these strange ideas, here is one who's standing before you, who is the embodiment, the Logos, Word of God, who has become flesh. And look at everything that he has done. Put it against the Old Testament. Put it against the claims, the miracles, the signs, and you will see right before you, Jesus is the Messiah. So why were they asking this question? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus' answer was a bit abrupt, but very to the point. And Jesus answered them and told, I told you, but you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, the whole book of John is still in the sheep narrative, yeah? It's still in the whole uh, portion of Scripture that talks about I'm the sheep gate, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the good shepherd. So this whole passage talks about the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There is no way that Jesus could have made it more plain who he is. But it's not the answer they were looking for. They were still hoping that Jesus would be some kind of the Maccabees 
who would come and, and get rid of the Romans and, and restore back the temple and, and, and Israel, they were still looking for some other manifestation of the Messiah. But when the shepherd was standing right in front of them, they could not see him. They could not understand who this Jesus was. We don't choose him. He draws us to himself. That's one of the most powerful things that as I read this, I, uh, it's a portion of scripture that used a lot to talk about uh, predestination. That only those who are predestined will be saved. But actually, if you read it very carefully, that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, the revelation is right before you. I am the Logos. I am the Word. Word that's become flesh standing right before you. Now, the revelation is before you. The choice to believe is now the exercise of your free will. Now, if you choose to believe, then you become my sheep, and you will hear my voice, and I will become your shepherd. But even if that revelation is standing right before you, but you choose not to believe, then no matter what I say, that's what Jesus is saying, it won't make any difference to you. You're not going to believe. No matter what I did, and he did some incredible things and is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But even through all those miracles, you still won't believe. Because the answer you're looking for, you're not going to find in the Jesus that has been revealed. And a lot of times we go to God expecting God to be a certain manifestation of how he's going to answer us. How is God going to reveal himself to us? But sometimes... God shows himself to us in ways that we cannot understand. Sometimes God brings breakthroughs in our life through our circumstances that, that we don't expect. But if we are sheep and we know the shepherd and our eyes are fixed on him, then we will see and we will know and we will hear. You know, we live in a world today that... that we hear so many voices. I know the older generation, we, a lot of us used to listen to Oprah Winfrey. You know, and then you have uh, Deepak Chopra. I don't know if you've heard of that guy. You know, uh, and then you've got, uh, and the young people today listen to a guy called Young Pueblo. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Young Pueblo. I think he's uh, Ecuadorian. All of them, they give fantastic philosophies, fantastic ideas about the condition of man, how you should treat one another, and, and there's nothing wrong with the kind of things that they're communicating. But the problem is, the true condition of our hearts can only be met by the one who made us. Only God knows what our needs are. No amount of plastic surgery is going to change the heart. <laughs> we can put on plastic surgery and, and behave differently and try to do things differently, but as long as the heart is broken, the transformation will never take place. You know, and, and this, this whole uh, portion of Scripture put against the, the story of the sheep and shepherd are very important because, you know, the, the sheep are, are very easily scared and very easily deceived, <laughs> You know, that's why you have, you know, wolves coming in in sheep's clothing and they don't recognize him. 
A lot of time, you know, when, when Jesus said, I'm the sheep door, I'm the sheep gate, I'm the one who's standing in between you and all the wolves that are roaming around. And when the wolves are roaming around and howling, the sheep will start to panic and get nervous. And they will start listening to the sounds and they forget to focus in on the shepherd that is standing right there before them. And a lot of these times, this kind of philosophies creep into the church and, and we begin to, to give in to some of these ideas because we are looking for the Jesus that we want, not the Jesus that's been revealed. That's what was going on here. That is what John was addressing. That even though he stood right before them, they still couldn't recognize him. That's why Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. What are the kind of voices that we are listening to today? You know, what, what captures our imagination? What are things that, that draws us? What are words of wisdom that we are drawn to? Now, they may all be fantastic, but unless we keep our eyes on this Jesus that John is talking about, unless we keep our eyes on this one in whom the whole Old Testament has now come into fulfillment, we are putting our hope on something that may bring temporary uh, soothing and relief, but it will never heal us and bring us to that place where our needs are met. I want to just read a poem to you. My eyes are fixed upon the Lord, my, good, my God in whom I safely trust, my strength my shield and my sword, who justifies me and is just. Where else can I put my trust? Not in the mortal man who dies, great philosophers. I shall not put my faith in dust. But on the Lord will I fix my eyes. Jesus is saying to, to, to each one of us, if you are my sheep, hear my voice. And no one will be able to take you out of, our, out of my Father's hand. I and the Father, we are one. What a powerful message as, as John presented this. You know, as he was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write this. What a powerful message of the love with which God is taking the minute details to express and show to us the full facet of this amazing God who through all things has an appointed time by which he's orchestrated everything. How from the Old Testament now as Jesus stood there in the Feast of Dedication thousands of years later was a fulfillment of what Jesus has planned all this while. What a powerful message as John wrote this, as the church going through the period of the, the, the second generation, as they were getting further and further away from the Old Testament and just embracing half of the Bible, John deliberately began to open their eyes again to see that all that is written here is a fulfillment that God 
has already planned. God has already given to us. Go back. Don't forget the Old Testament. Now, God is not asking us to keep the feast of Israel. He's not asking us to wear Jewish costumes or, or blow the shofar. And he's not requiring us to do all of that. In fact, John chapter in Acts 15, that was settled. That the Gentile church does not have to become Jews to become accepted of God. But at the same time, what John was saying is, don't forget that the New Testament is just a revelation of what God has already foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And these were the words of Augustine, that, that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. We will never truly appreciate one unless we see it in the light of the other. And that's why this was so important. And that's why John put against this, this backdrop. And we would see years after that, as the church began to drift further and further away from its Jewish roots, that the church actually became anti-Israel. All right, and we saw, you know, from the time of John onwards, the, the church just began to distance itself. But here, John was deliberately trying to address that. The Gospel of John mentions Jews or Jewish 65 times. More than all the Gospels put together. Now, not all of them were good. About 31 of them were actually not, not very nice. But yet, he was making an effort to put it against the Jewish tradition and feast because he saw that it's only when we, the church, see the full spectrum of the Old Testament that we can truly appreciate the manifestation of Jesus in the New Testament. And when we see that Jesus, that revelation, and if we hear that voice, then we become His sheep. And what an amazing promise with which we end. No one will be able to snatch us out of our Father's hand. Thank you. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, how you've revealed yourself to us. Through the Old Testament, God, how you've, you've fulfilled all your promises in the Christ that's been revealed to us, Father. And Father, I pray this, this morning, this day, oh God, if there are ones among us, Lord, who, who are looking for that one breakthrough, that we will take this message to heart. That if you had all the feast in perfect appointed time, that you have our life in perfect appointed time, Lord. In your appointed time, you will bring that breakthrough that we are looking for. In your appointed time, Lord, you will bring that relationship, that healing, that salvation, Father, that, that finances we're trusting for, that job, that education, what we're looking for you, Lord, looking to you, Lord. That as we look at this, if you can orchestrate such a magnificent plan, for thousands of years and working everything to minute detail that we will have faith in you this morning to know that you can work through your appointed time in our lives today, O oh God. And I pray, Father, that the revelation that we have of this Jesus who stands before us, that we will not be listening to all these strange philosophies and ideas and, and good good teachings, even, even some teaching that's come into the church in the name of liberation theology and progressive Christianity, 
Father, that we will not listen, Father, and fall into such good human man-made philosophies, God. But we will go back into your word and we will see the full revelation of this Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. And it is this Jesus to whom we will respond and say, we will fix our eyes on you, Lord. Not on the dust that will pass, but we will fix our eyes on the eternal one, the tabernacle of God, with whom we will dwell forever and ever, O God. Father, I just commit each one of my brothers and sisters to you, God. Whatever they're trusting you for today, Lord, that you will just speak to them and encourage them that you are working your appointed time in their lives as well, Father. We give you all glory and praise in Jesus' name, Lord. In Jesus' name.